0: So we're outside the habitat. Happy
1: Valentine's Day, Happy St. Patrick's Day, 4th
0: of July. Oh, and there is a lot of noise, lots of people.
1: Bye guys.
0: We wave goodbye. And then we enter. And then, well, then it's silent. And we look around and we look at each other and we know that you know for a year it will be just just the six of us and always here, always in this place.
1: This place is the habitat.
0: One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, And this is Cyprian 16, walking across
1: the habitat. 18, counting 19, his steps as he goes. 21,
0: 33
1: steps. That's how far you can walk inside the habitat. From one end to the other, the whole thing is just 33 steps. It's smaller than a tennis court. It's smaller than some kindergarten classrooms. But for the high seas crew, this is the whole damn world. After I said goodbye to the crew, I went back to New York and waited. And after a little while, they started sending me recordings from inside. I send them a question, and they send me a recording. And one of the first things I wanted to know was just, what is it like in there?
0: Um, Today, I will just give you a tour of the hub.
1: So, the habitat is round. Most of it is just one round room. And in the center of the room is a staircase.
0: And it leads to a mezzanine. Um, I will speak... um I will be quiet now because there are people sleeping. On this mid in you have seven doors. One is a bathroom door. Um, and the six other doors are our individual compartments. These individual compartments are like dignified closets.
2: These things are really freaking tiny.
1: That's Tristan, another member of the crew.
2: So if I'm at the door where I come in, my whole room is let's if go here, it's like one, two, three. Uh, and yeah, after three steps in, you hit your head on the dome. So it's it's quite a, quite
0: small, but it's very, it's very cozy.
1: Each room comes furnished with this toddler-sized furniture, a teeny-weeny desk, an itty-bitty bed. It's hard to imagine an adult human sleeping in here. But there's just not much room on a rocket ship, so everything that goes to Mars will have to be small.
2: It's going to be as uh, tight as you can get it and still make things work. Anyway, I'm getting
0: naked. Close your eyes.
1: Every little thing about life in the habitat is designed to mimic something about life on Mars. So, out there, water is going to be scarce. It's going to be precious. And in here, it's got to be scarce and precious, too.
0: Okay, where will I put the microphone?
1: To get an idea of just how scarce, I asked Cyprian to record himself taking a shower.
0: Um, I hope you realize that your questions are very weird, but, well, it's not up to me to judge. Okay, so I am, um, well, in the the shower. There are buckets on the ground so that we can collect water, because then we use it to mop the ground, and there is a timer so that we can make sure that we don't use too much water.
1: That beep is the timer. Cyprian gets about 30 seconds to wash himself. While he does that, I will use the 30 seconds to tell you as much as I can about water in space. So... On the International Space Station, they reuse every drop of water they can because water is so precious. So all the water in their breath, the vapor, all the sweat, their tears, everything, it all gets recycled, cleaned, reused, returned to them. They even recycle the mouse pee from the lab mice on the ship and turn it into, oh, and there's the timer. That's all Cyprian gets, like 30 ice-cold seconds.
0: <laughs> My body is uh, blue and red right now. Um... So I'm freezing to death, and I will (laughs) go back to my room under the blanket where it's warm.
1: Anyway, I was saying, out there, every drop of water is precious. Because if you run out, you can't just get more. And the situation on Mars won't be much better. Yes, there is some water on Mars in the form of ice. But there are no lakes or rivers. It never really rains or snows. Everything you take for granted on Earth, forget it. And some of what the crew is doing in the dome is figuring out ways to deal with that. Christiana, who's a physicist, is looking for ways to extract water from the ground. Carmel, who loves being in nature, is trying to grow plants under these weird Mars-like conditions. And Cyprian, the biologist, is experimenting with these little green specks, this bacteria that he thinks could help people grow their own food on Mars. But for now, the only way to survive a mission to Mars is to bring all your food with you.
2: Turn on the lights.
1: On the first floor of the Hab, there's a storage room packed floor to ceiling. With
2: giant bins of um, just all the food.
1: There's enough food here to last a long, long time. It's all stuff that would survive a trip to Mars. Everything is powdered or vacuum-packed or dried.
2: Ground beef. Dried. Turkey. Dried. Cheddar. Dried. This one doesn't have a label, but it's full of dehydrated applesauce.
1: I had no idea you could dehydrate so much weird shit.
2: Natural burgundy wine powder.
1: Almost all the food in the habitat is food that's had the water sucked out of it. So if you want a nice ripe peach in here, you can have one. But it'll be dehydrated. And not the mouthfeel you usually think of when you think peach. <laughs> peach dust. Sitting in my apartment listening to these early recordings, I start to get very, very curious about what this food actually tastes like. And then one day, my producer Peter tells me it's possible to mail order the same kind of food that the crew is eating inside the habitat. Which is how we become the proud owners of a jumbo-sized can of dehydrated turkey chunks. Sounds like Lucky Charms, kind yeah. of. Like a little softer, but basically Lucky Charms. Inside the can are many, many half-inch cubes, the color and texture of chalk. The idea is to rehydrate them and bake them like a real turkey. So we add water. It's honestly it's like doing the rice krispies noise. Can you hear it? Oh my god. <laughs> We let the cubes sit in the water until the whole thing becomes kind of like a turkey slush. When, like, the mama bird
2: throws up her food for the baby birds, that's what it looks like.
1: Oh, God, it really does. I try my very best to shape it into a turkey-like shape. I guess? Is that sort of, is that how drumsticks go? Yeah. And then we bake. And 40 minutes later, we have something. Hmm. It's like wood pulp. I mean, that's, it's like, what is that called? Press board? It's like dorm room furniture. It's dorm room furniture. Like vaguely turkeyish dorm room furniture. After three bites of this stuff, I can't swallow another bite. The idea of eating food like this every day for a year is pretty much the grossest thing I can imagine. Until Mission Day 59 when I get a recording describing something even grosser.
2: Maybe hear it echoey a little bit. This is the downstairs bathroom.
1: This is Tristan again. He's standing next to one of the high seas toilets. Now, obviously, there is no indoor plumbing on Mars, and the habitat is designed to simulate that.
2: The smell is not great. We've got our composting toilet right there, so instead of flushing everything away like you guys all do back home, it just uh, sits in there.
1: The composting toilet is basically a big barrel. You do your business in the barrel and your shit drops into a little drawer. It's like a sock drawer, but for poop. And in the drawer, the poop gets dried out, sanitized, and turned into these neat little chunks that can be used as fertilizer.
2: When it works right,
1: But one day, one of the toilets stopped working right. Tristan and Shay were on cleanup duty. So they put on every piece of protective gear they could find.
2: So uh, Shay and I had our cotton scrubby things on and goggles, and I had my respro face mask, gloves, the whole bit. Even booties for our shoes, actually. Felt very much like a nurse.
1: And marched into the bathroom. They opened the drawer under the toilet, which was supposed to contain those neat little chunks.
2: It was just, uh... Oh, like if you can imagine a 10-pound tray of the worst fudge you've ever seen in your life, that's basically what we were dealing with.
1: In this moment, Tristan and Shay entered a grand tradition of toilet troubles in astronaut history. You know, once you get out of lunar orbit, you can do a lot of things. You can power down, you can, you can, you can do a lot of things. You're listening to The Fine Men of Apollo 10. This was recorded in 1969. Their ship had just finished orbiting the moon, and they were headed triumphantly back to Earth. And what's happening? You know, Oh, who this? did it? Who did what? what? Who did it? Give me a napkin quick, there's a turd floating in. I didn't do it. It one of mine. Give me a napkin quick, there's a turd floating around. That is the sound of an escaped poop nugget, freed from the bounds of gravity, floating through the Apollo spaceship. I don't think it's gonna bind. it was a little more sticky than that. The Apollo program was a triumph in many, many ways, but pooping was not one of them. Any astronaut who needed to poop had to float over to one side of the ship, ask the other astronaut dudes to look away, strip completely naked, hold a little plastic bag up to his butthole, deposit his poop in the bag, seal the bag up, and get dressed again. The whole thing could take over an hour. And obviously, it did not always work that well. Here's another goddamn turd. What's the matter with you guys? Here, give me a... (laughs) God almighty. Turns out, the whole space program has been a parade of poop and pee-related mishaps. Alan Shepard, the very first American shot into space, pissed his pants on the launch pad before he could even lift off. NASA hadn't bothered to give him any kind of bathroom option. They figured he could just hold it. But the launch took longer than expected, and Shepard, a fallible human man with a fallible human bladder, couldn't. But that's a drop in the bucket compared to what astronaut Gordon Cooper experienced in 1963. Cooper was on a solo flight. He was supposed to spend a day and a half in orbit, perform a few experiments, and then come home. Mission control was flying the ship. But near the end of the flight, the ship suddenly malfunctioned. The altitude indicators failed, the stabilizers failed, and most alarmingly, the autopilot failed, leaving Cooper to find his way home like some kind of ancient mariner, using his knowledge of the constellations to navigate. Turns out, his urine bag leaked. Little drops of pee got into the ship's controls and short-circuited everything. Back in the habitat, Tristan and Shay did not have to land an out-of-control spaceship. But they did have to get the downstairs toilet working again. So they grabbed a couple of plastic shovels, jammed their arms blindly into the space under the toilet.
2: Shoulder deep into this thing.
1: And started digging.
2: And essentially just put as much of it as we could into old coffee cans and there was a solid nine or ten coffee cans worth to give you a idea of the horror Um, eventually got it clean and put everybody on a bathroom schedule so boys downstairs girls upstairs and hopefully we won't overload the system again
1: with every new recording that arrives from the habitat every new detail about how tiny it is and how gross and how hard everything is in there. I listen for signs that the crew is getting sick of all this, that the experience is starting to wear on them the way I know it would wear on me, that the tensions I saw on that first hike, before the crew even moved into the habitat, are starting to flare. But I don't hear that, at least not yet. What I hear instead, after the break. Hey, careful. Stop it.
0: Okay, this was Christiana um, shaking her milk. Shaking? Well... Stirring? (laughs) Well, stirring, yeah, whatever.
2: (laughs) And this was Cyprian trying to speak English.
0: Oh, and this is Tristan speaking French. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Say something.
1: Something. So far, a lot of the recordings from the Hab are of the crew just hanging out, getting to know each other. Ah. About eight weeks into the experiment, mission day 58, Cyprian starts sending me recordings of himself playing the ukulele.
0: That's an E. Anyway.
1: This is a brand new thing for him. He's never been a musician. But here, he's free to be whoever he wants.
0: Yeah, the thing is that I I have never, well, almost never um, been singing or playing music when I was a kid. And I think the reason for that is that my father is um, um, very sensitive to um, to music. Like he has a perfect ear and so on. And he's very perfectionist. And when I was singing as a kid... Like, my father was like, ah, and yeah. (laughs) So I stopped singing, and I didn't pick up an instrument. But here I decided to, well, to start playing.
1: He's not the only one trying something new on this new planet. Shay, the crew doctor, she wants to learn Russian. Carmel, the commander, is hoping to write a children's book in here. Maybe something about a kid who goes to outer space. And Christiana. So this is the son
2: of the harmonica.
0: Christiana is playing the harmonica, which is also very small and very light, so we make some duets together.
1: For an experiment that's all about the future, there's a surprisingly old-fashioned feel to life in the habitat. It's like something right out of frontier times, like bonnet and butter churn frontier times a small band of people in a strange new place, starting their own society, making their own fun.
2: I'd never shaved anybody before coming here. I'd never grown a beard before coming here.
1: Fair enough, head down. One day, when Anjay's beard gets too big, he asks Shay for help shaving it off. And pretty soon, the whole crew is gathered around. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
2: <So>. <laughs> yeah, weird. They, are, right?
1: they turn Anjay's face into hours of entertainment. They shave his beard into a goatee, a handlebar mustache, a set of mutton chops. Yes. Well, I think we could do like lightning bolts in them or something. You want to do lightning
0: bolts in my chops? I can try. Lightning bolt chops, guys. This okay, is Okay,
1: so...
2: I am ready. You should do this again next month.
1: Oh, yeah. Another day early in the mission, Anjay gets up and makes a big breakfast for the whole crew.
2: Testing, testing. One, two, three. It is Sunday morning on simulated Mars.
1: And behind me, the uh, chief engineer is making brunch. Throw the tortilla on there. He's making breakfast burritos, or the closest you can get to breakfast burritos on Mars. So, instead of cracking farm-fresh eggs into the skillet, Anjay is scooping powder out of the can-marked eggs and mixing it with pellets from the can-marked ham.
2: So the mix I'm throwing on here is um, powdered egg and egg whites, um, some rehydrated ham, some rehydrated sausage crumbles, um, some instant hash browns, and a healthy dash of pepper.
1: When the filling is done, he scoops it all up and rolls it into a tortilla, And as he does this, he shouts, Tortilla! This will become Anjay's tradition. Every Sunday, he'll make breakfast burritos for the crew. And as part of the tradition, every time he throws a tortilla on the stove, he shouts, Tortilla!
2: Tortilla! Tortilla!
1: Soon, other traditions develop. Wednesdays, the crew plays a board game together. Thursdays, they show each other pictures from their old lives back on Earth. And on Saturdays, they dance.
2: So, uh, Christiana's uh leading the group in salsa. And I still completely suck. But far less than before. I can do, like, the basic step now if I really think about it. We have
0: dinner together. That's a moment where we, you know, tell stories and uh, make jokes. And usually it's a very... Um,
2: a very pleasant moment, dinner together. So really, we're all uh, adjusting pretty well. It's a nice place. We're all dorks. We get each other's jokes.
1: And man, every day goes by faster and faster. And I don't know. um, Every (laughs) day you turn around and you're like, oh, it's noon. Turn around again.
0: Oh, it's dinner time. And turn around again. And oh, my gosh, I should have gone to bed hours ago. So, um, yeah, so that's what I've got. And I will be talking to you guys again next week, if not before. Thanks, Lynn. Talk to you soon. Bye. So, yeah, it's home to us.
1: Of course, this home has one more feature, something the crew doesn't talk about that much.
2: So we got the little door to outside right there, which is locked because if we open it right now, we have to simulate dying and the mission is over.
1: That little door is one of the most important parts of simulating life in space. To walk out without a spacesuit could mean the end of the mission, the end of the whole experiment. And that's the difference between this frontier and other frontiers. We think of the frontier as vast and open. It's about discovery and exploration. But what this crew has to explore is a little different. They have each other, and they have this little dome, half the size of a tennis court. Seven days a week, 365 days in the year, 33 steps across.
0: One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty, thirty-one, thirty-two, thirty-three. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33,
1: Make time Take your protein pills and put your helmet on Take your protein pills The Habitat your is a production of gimlet media. Control it's produced by time. Peter Bresnan, Megan Tan, and me. I'm Lynn Levy. Our editors are Alex Bloomberg, Jorge Just, Caitlin Kenny, and Blythe Terrell. Music, sound design and mixing by Haley Shaw. Music supervision by Matthew Bowl. Additional music by Charlie Palmieri. Our credits music in this episode is performed by Serengeti and written by David Bowie. Our fact checker is Michelle Harris. Special thanks on this episode to Peter Bresnan. I know he's already in these credits, but oh my God, he has taught me so much about space poop. And a very special thanks, of course, to the High Seas crew. Anjay, Christiana, Cyprian, Carmel, Shay, and Tristan.
2: Don't you make your time, You really make the great end And the papers want to
1: No who touched you with Now it's time to leave the capsule if you did